You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Welcome to Journey Bible Church. My name is Mark Dodd. I serve as the care pastor here at Journey Bible Church. I just want to begin by saying happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms that are here. My mom's here today. Love you, mom. I hope you all feel loved and celebrated today. We know that motherhood is not an easy calling, but it is a worthy calling. And if today is a difficult day for you, for whatever reason, we want you to know that we love you and that we're glad that you're here with us this morning. I love that clip that we just saw about the guy who thinks he's invisible. It's a clever prank. The video actually went viral a few years ago. And then there were some parents on YouTube that started pulling the same prank on their kids, right? They would put the blanket over their child and remove the blankets and pretend like their kid was invisible. You know, how do you think that goes over for a kid, right? It's a little bit traumatic when your parents are talking like you're not there. But I think uh, based on the guy's uh, reaction in the video, it might have been a little traumatic for him too, you know? I didn't have time to show the full clip, but if you watch the entire thing, the crowd keeps the prank going for a good 10 minutes. And at the end of those 10 minutes, the guy who thinks he's invisible is definitely ready to become visible again. You can see the relief on his face when he's eventually brought back from the invisible realm. You see, nobody wants to feel invisible. Sure, it can be a funny prank, or if you're Harry Potter, the cloak of invisibility can come in handy if you're wandering around Hogwarts at night. But deep down, all of us have a desire to be seen. And not just seen in a purely physical sense, but truly seen. Like there is someone who sees you and knows you and values you and affirms you. But sometimes if we're being honest, we feel invisible. We feel like we're just going through the motions of life and that no one really sees No one really knows me. No one really knows my deep thoughts and feelings. We can feel invisible. Parents in the room know this, but our kids want to be seen all the time. It's part of how they feel secure and loved when mom and dad see them. That's my daughter, Ivy. These pictures were taken in the last two weeks. She loves it when she makes something and I acknowledge it and take a picture of it to document it. She loves to be seen. That's why kids so often are like, mommy, look what I made. Daddy, come see the picture I drew. That desire to be seen doesn't really go away as we grow up. It just looks different. We still wanna be seen by our, parent, by our parents. We want to be seen by our boss. We want to be seen by our spouse. We don't want to feel invisible. Because when we feel invisible, we feel alone. Nicole Johnson uh, wrote an article called Invisible Mom. 
And I wanna read just a portion of that to you guys right now. She says this, it all began to make sense. The blank stares, the lack of response, the way one of the kids will walk into the room while I'm on the phone and ask to be taken to the store. And inside I'm thinking, can't you see? I'm on the phone. Obviously not. No one can see if I'm on the phone or cooking or sweeping the floor or even standing on my head in the corner because no one can see me at all. I am invisible. Some days I am only a pair of hands, nothing more. Can you fix this? Can you tie this? Can you open this? Some days I am not a pair of hands. I am not even a human being. I am a clock to ask, what time is it? I am a satellite guide to answer, what number is the Disney Channel? I am a car to order, right around 5.30, please. I was certain that these were the hands that once held books and the eyes that studied history and the minds that graduated, but now they had all disappeared into the peanut butter, never to be seen again. She's going, she's going, she's gone. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but I think it captures what it feels like to be invisible. And so now the question becomes, what do we do with that feeling? Where do we turn? And in answer to that question, what I wanna suggest this morning is that we turn to the God who sees. So I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, we're gonna read verses one through 16. If you don't have your Bible with you, we've got it up on the screen here. Starting in verse one, it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servants, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. 
For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So before we unpack this text, would you pray with me? Father God, I pray for everyone here today, those who may feel invisible, those who feel lonely, those who maybe feel misunderstood, those who maybe feel like they have low self-worth. God, would you remind us this morning that you are a God who sees, you're a God who knows, you are a God who loves. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you are taking notes this morning, here's how we're gonna break up the passage, okay? So first, we're gonna look at the problem that arises in verses one through six. Then we're gonna talk about the promise that God gives in verses seven through 14. Then finally, we're gonna look at the progeny. Progeny is just a fancy word that means descendants, but I had to keep my three Ps, right? Problem, promise, progeny flows like butter, okay? So progeny is here to stay, deal with it, all right? So let's jump into the problem. Right off the bat, we're presented with a problem. Sarai, Abram's wife, had not given birth to any children. This was a problem because in Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abram and promised him that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But with Sarai advancing in years, how was God gonna fulfill that promise when she had no children? So Sarai decided to take matters into her own hands. She had a female Egyptian servant named Hagar. She told Abraham to take Hagar as a wife so that they could obtain children by Hagar. So Abram complied and Hagar conceived. But then Hagar despised Sarai. She looked at Sarai with contempt and this creates a new problem. Sarai was really upset So she goes to her husband, Abram, and essentially says, look, we got a problem here. My maidservant despises me. So what does Abram do? He says, she's your servant. Deal with her however you want. You see, Abram is contributing to the problem in a major way here. By taking Hagar as a wife, he was not trusting in God's promise to give him descendants through Sarai. And now he's being passive and telling Sarai to take care of the problem herself. And then we're told that Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar. I don't know what that entailed, but it was to the point where a pregnant maidservant felt like she had no other choice but to flee. You see, problems abound when people try to take matters into their own hands. As soon as Sarai and Abram came up with their own solution to a problem, it created a ripple effect of bigger problems. There's a lot to unpack in these verses, but let's think about what this situation might have felt like, first for Sarai and then for Hagar. So imagine with me for a moment that you are Sarai. The Lord has just made a covenant with your husband, Abram. And so Abram comes home one night and he says, guess what? The Lord just promised me that our offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm getting old. I guess that means I'm going to start having children soon. But the years continue to advance and still no children. Do you think Sarai ever thought to herself, God, do you really see me? Is this some kind of sick joke? Did you make a covenant with the wrong guy? I wonder if Sarai ever felt invisible to God, like he had forgotten about her. So she took matters into her own hands. She said, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So her assumption is, the covenant that God made to my husband doesn't include me. I am not the vessel that God intends to use. Now imagine that you're Hagar, a servant. You are taken as a wife just so that you can bear children. Your mistress tells you to sleep with her husband and the child that you carry won't belong to you. Do you think Hagar ever thought to herself, I'm just a pawn I'm just a body for making children. You think she ever felt invisible? Like God didn't care about her? How do you think she felt when Abram told Sarai, do whatever you want with her? No wonder she looked at Sarai with contempt. Her dignity had been stripped from her. So we have two women, both wrestling with complex problems, both feeling maybe unseen and unloved by God or people. You see, that feeling of being invisible isn't just a modern problem. It's a feeling that human beings have been wrestling with ever since sin entered the picture. Because that's what sin does. It throws our value and our worth into question. Does God really see me? Do other people really see what's going on? Am I of value to anyone? Now, if you were to take matters into your own hands to try to answer that question, you might peruse the self-help section at your local bookstore. And you would find titles such as 10 Days to Self-Esteem, What's Right With Me, Positive Ways to Celebrate Your Strengths, Build Self-Esteem, and Reach Your Potential. You can heal your life. I'm not saying these books don't contain any helpful advice, but there is something that these books cannot give you. These authors don't know you. They don't really see what's going on in your life. But there is a God who before you were even born was thinking of you. The God who formed you in your mother's womb created you with immeasurable worth, with infinite value. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. There is a longing that all of us have to be seen, to be known, to be loved unconditionally. And that longing can only be met when we turn to the God who sees. The question I want to put before you is what are you doing with that longing? Are you turning to God 
or are you trying to take matters into your own hands? Well, let's look at the next part of the story to see how Hagar responded. The promise, verses seven through 14. So Hagar likely is being abused, mistreated by Sarai, forcing her to flee into the wilderness. She finds a spring of water in the wilderness and it's there where she's confronted by an angel of the Lord. We don't know much about this angel, only that it was speaking as a representative of the Lord. So the angel's words to Hagar are the very words of God himself. The angel asks her where she's come from and where she's going. Hagar tells the angel she's fleeing from Sarai, her mistress. And the angel's response to her needs some unpacking. Because the angel says to her in verse nine, return to your mistress and submit to her. I gotta be honest with you guys. When I first read this story, that verse was extremely troubling to me because the angel is telling her to return to a situation where she's being mistreated. That just doesn't seem consistent with the justice of God. It doesn't seem to add up when we say that God is merciful and loving. Why would he tell a woman who has been mistreated to return to that situation? I wanna offer two reasons why I think that was the case. And before I do, I just wanna make it clear that if you are in an abusive situation or you have escaped an abusive situation, I am not suggesting this morning that the best thing for you to do is return to the abuse. Far from it. But I do want us to be mindful of the context of this particular story as we consider why the angel would tell Hagar to return to Sarai. The first reason is this. Hagar was in the wilderness. She was likely trying to return to Egypt where she's from, but being in the wilderness on her own opened her up to great danger. Not only was she risking the life of herself and the baby she was carrying, but if she would have come upon strangers, they could have sold her into slavery where her conditions could have been far worse. She was also carrying Abram's child. The angel instructed her to return to Abram and Sarai, not only for her protection, but also for the safety of the baby that she was carrying. And the second reason that God instructed Hagar to return to Sarai was because God wanted to bless Hagar. Look at verses 10 through 12 again. It says, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Listen to this. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And then we're told this about Ishmael. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. So here we see the promise that God gives Hagar. It's a similar promise that God gave to Abram. The Lord promised to multiply Hagar's descendants to the point where they could not be numbered. 
And she was to name the baby in her womb Ishmael, which means God hears. Did you notice what the angel said to her? Verse 11. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened. He's listened to your affliction. The abuse, the mistreatment that Hagar endured at the hands of Sarai, the pain, the agony of that, the Lord heard her cries of affliction. They did not fall on deaf ears. At the same time, God also was calling Hagar to change her attitude toward Sarai, to not despise her, but to submit to her. And in so doing, this would provide protection for her and for her child. Now, verse 12 is interesting because in the promise that God gives Hagar, there's also a description about the kind of man Ishmael will be. He's gonna be an independent man, not relying on anyone. And the Lord would eventually make Ishmael into a great nation, which we'll touch on in a moment. But before we move to the final section, I think it's worth noting Hagar's response in verse 13. It says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, which means this, well of the living one who sees me. Her response is telling. Because if this is an instance where God is being unloving or unjust, you would think that her reply would have been something like, God, I don't care about your promises. You want me to return to Sarai? You want me to return to the mistreatment that I was experiencing? I want nothing to do with you, God. But that's not what she says. She says, truly I have seen him who looks after me. At that moment, she felt seen. She felt like God understood her problem. She felt loved. This is a story about seeing, about how we see ourselves, how we see other people, and ultimately about how God sees us. In seasons of difficulty, where we may feel invisible or misunderstood, where it feels like the world is against us, it can be difficult to believe that God sees or that he really cares. And for some of you here this morning, on this particular day, those feelings may be surfacing. You may have been trying to get pregnant and it hasn't happened yet. You may have lost a child. Your mom may have passed away. You may be estranged from your mom. Or mom, you may be estranged from your child. You may be going through a divorce. And you're sitting here this morning. And you are wondering, does God really see me? 
does he really care? A few weeks ago, the AC went out of my house, okay? Which, it wasn't a big deal at the time because the weather was nice and cool outside. So I called our warranty company, and thankfully, uh, they replaced our whole AC unit. It was great, okay? So we had a guy scheduled to come replace our AC last Wednesday before the heat wave came in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Last weekend, it got hot, all right? Right, right before he was about to come, though, he called me and said he didn't have an authorization number from my warranty company to do the job. He said he couldn't do the job until he had that authorization number. So I called the warranty company and they said it takes five days to generate that number. So I checked the forecast and I saw there was a big heat wave coming in. Then I started to get nervous, right? I'm like, uh-oh. So I called my warranty company again and I pleaded with them, hey, is there any way that you can expedite this process? So called our AC guy again, pleaded with him, could you, could you please just do the job? You know, like they've authorized you to do it, just come and do it. He's like, I can't do it until I have the authorization number. So I called the warranty company back, please, can you expedite, please? And I was put on hold, I was put on hold, I was put on hold. And then finally somebody tells me, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Felt like they didn't care. I was trying to explain my situation, but no one seemed to understand. So last weekend, my house got up to like 86 degrees, and it was pretty miserable. With five kids, it was a little rough, I'm not gonna lie. I'm sure most of you have a story like that, right? Being put on hold, someone on the other line telling you there's nothing that they can do for you, and you throw your hands up like, does, does anyone care? Does anyone see my situation? But friends, do you realize this? There has never been a moment in your life when you have cried out to God and your cries did not reach his ears and move his heart. Do you understand that God does not have a claims department? When you cry out to God, he's never like, let me put you on hold, let me transfer your call. Cue boring elevator music. No, God never puts his children on hold. He hears, he sees, he knows, he understands, and his heart is to bless you. And so if you're asking the question this morning, does God really see me? Does he really care? Yes. More than you and I could ever possibly imagine and the proof that God really sees that he really cares that he really loves is the cross so that leads me to our last point this morning bringing back that progeny right just means descendants so God fulfilled his promise to Hagar in verses 15 through 16 Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, and Ishmael would go on to become a great nation. But the story does not end there, because God also saw Sarah in her old age. And God gave Sarah a son, Isaac. 
Sarah assumed that God had forgotten about her, but he fulfilled his promise to Abraham by giving them a son. You see, God didn't just see Hagar in her affliction. God also saw Sarah in the midst of her disbelief, and he fulfilled his promise. But before God gave Abraham the promise in Genesis 15 that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, back in Genesis 12, God also made a promise to Abraham. He said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we know from scripture, when we trace the descendants of Abraham from Isaac to Jacob to King David, we eventually get to Joseph, who was the husband to Mary, the mother of Jesus. God set a plan in motion long before Jesus arrived on the scene, a plan to redeem the world through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, a plan to bless all the families of the earth through Jesus. Friends, God sees all of our attempts to take matters into our own hands. He sees how desperately we have searched for meaning, significance, that endless pursuit that we matter. He's seen it all. He knows it all. And yet, he loves you. He loves you. And the cross is the ultimate proof that God really sees and that God really knows because the cross liberates us from the meaningless search to find significance apart from God. The cross declares you matter to God. You matter so much to God. You are so significant to God that he was willing to send his son to the cross so that we could be forever secure, forever safe, forever seen and known in his love. Friends, when we turn away from our own efforts and when we trust in the God who sees us, really sees us, we'll never be let down. You are not an invisible nothing to God. God sees you. And he loves you. And so as we close, I want to talk about three benefits that we receive as we turn to the God who sees. The first is this. It transforms how we see ourselves. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are of his making. We are uniquely designed and created by God for good works. And 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You are not invisible to God. You are his child. You are precious to him. Do you see yourself as a beloved child of God? Because if you have trusted in Jesus, that is who you are. Secondly, it transforms how we see others. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17 says this, 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one by mere worldly standards. The outward distinctions of Jew and Gentile, slave or free, rich or, or poor, are lost when we consider one another in light of our new identity in Christ. We don't judge people based on how they look or how they dress or how they educate their kids or who they vote for or what neighborhood they live in because we are united in Christ as one family. And then lastly, it transforms how we see God. 1 Peter 5 Six and seven says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We can take all of our worries and anxieties to God because he sees us and he cares for us. Moms, in those moments when you may feel invisible, like you're just a waitress to your kids or a clock to tell time, God sees you in those moments and your work is not in vain. And I do hope that today that your family honors you for your sacrifices. And I hope that, that it just doesn't happen on Mother's Day, but I hope that that's a regular thing for your family, that they can honor you. And friends, in those moments where you feel invisible, where you feel misunderstood, where you feel forgotten, God invites you to come to him because he sees you, he knows you, he loves you. So on Mother's Day, whether this is a day of celebration or this is a difficult day, whether this is a day that you feel seen or a day where you feel forgotten or invisible, know this, the God who loves you is the God who sees you. And he invites you and I to draw near to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have created us with more worth than we could ever know. Thank you, God, that, that you see us in our good days and our bad days and our horrible days. God, thank you that your heart is, is to love us and to bless us. Thank you, God, that you did not withhold your one and only son, but God, you saw us in, in, our, in our pitiful state and our sin, and, and God, you sent your son on the cross, and we thank you that the cross is proof, God, that you see us and you love us. So Lord, would you help us if, if maybe we're feeling like we're forgotten or invisible today, would you help us, God, to turn to you, to turn to you, God, because you see us and you love us. So God, would that fill us with hope? Would that fill us with faith? God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.